Welcome to Fully Yours, a podcast about food, the sacred, and ordinary moments of extraordinary belonging. Hey, this is Christy. And this is Chloe. And today we are enjoying a beautiful meal. One of my really great friends um, gave me this recipe not too long ago. Her and her husband um, recently moved from Hawaii, and she herself is Malaysian. And so she made me this dish of uh, pasta and tomatoes and white wine, garlic, cilantro, um, really, really amazing stuff. Some lime juice, avocado. It's just incredible. So it's a pasta dish. And she had shrimp in it, which was really, really good. But um, I'm trying to be more aware of what I'm eating and where it's coming from. So I used tofu today. This was my first time cooking tofu, and I think it went pretty well. Um, it was a bit of an experiment, but I tried <laughs> it out, and it actually turned out pretty well. Um, and a lot of what I do in cooking is just sort of make stuff up. <laughs> yes, you are a pro at that, like really a magician. When you enter into a kitchen, there'll be a handful of ingredients on the counter. I remember this used to make some really delicious soups. How, when did that start, Christy? Was that something that you've always, I mean, you're a photographer, you're an artist at heart. Is that something that's always been a part of your practice? Actually, not really. Um, I think the first thing that I needed to do was to learn the basics of cooking. Mm -hmm. And I just, I remember as a kid, I, there was a school requirement that I had to check out so many books from the library and read them and return them. And um, and that was like a school requirement. So mm -hmm. instead of getting regular books, <laughs> I would take out cookbooks and it still <laughs> counted. So <laughs> I would just like flip through the pictures, look at the recipes. And for me, it was a very much a formula. Um, I had a very scientific mind. I still do in some ways of like, mm -hmm. this is how you do something step by step process. And um, so I had to learn, you know, how to do certain things before I could really experiment. And I think that's true in a lot of um, in a lot of different fields. So hmm. it probably wasn't until seminary that I really started to like stray away from my recipes, um, <laughs> including baking, which I discovered is not <laughs> a good it's idea. A <laughs> it's not a good idea str to stray from the recipes <laughs> in that case. Um, I made some really awful brownies once. Don't do it. Um, I, I was have. Like <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, hmm, I have Nutella, I have flour, and I have eggs. Sounds amazing. Vanilla Sounds like extract. a Nutella flan or something, or flan. Well, it was it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't bake without a recipe, I think, is the moral of the story. But cooking, yes, you can certainly do that with cooking. Um, <laughs> I yeah. love that you say that. I, I had a similar path in terms of reading cookbooks for, like, bedtime reading. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this came much later in life, probably around college or so. But um, I definitely, I think my confidence grew a little fast and I thought, okay, I can put together some amazing cookies. So the first time I tried to do this, I, what were they? I think they were mango cookies with raspberry mixed, like real raspberries. And I found out oh that God. that combination makes a kind of sickly purple cookie that has <laughs> no flavor. 
And <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that kind of scared me off for a while. And then I really stuck with recipes, both in baking and cooking. And only am slowly starting to feel freedom again. But I wonder, when you were saying that, it brought me back to, um, I took a lot of classes in seminary about um, spiritual practices. And all different faith traditions have different forms of of practices. That's a huge, huge topic. But whether it's um, ways to pray or fasting or... um, goodness how you spend your money um lots of different things and and the practices are meant to sort of cultivate certain uh spiritual uh capacity like to bring the spiritual um into how you move through the world I don't know if you have a better definition of that no that's that be but no that's beautiful yeah and I think that there's it's interesting because um I feel like there's always that that tension and it can be maybe at times it can be a pretty unhealthy tension. Um, but I also Mm -hmm. think there's a lot of potential there for it to be a really healthy tension of this sort of give and take or ebb and flow, um, with, with how we incorporate and make meaning in our lives. Um, sometimes it's really helpful to like follow a recipe or to follow, Mm. um, to have some structure in our lives, whether, we're like trying to to incorporate an exercise regime like if if exercise is really important or whether we're waking up extra early to write in our journal or um, using sort of these vaults of of um, different spiritual practices from various religious traditions um, in terms of how we approach prayer or um, different ways of of expressing gratitude. So yeah, there's this whole range and I've known in my own life, like sometimes I have to really, um, sometimes those give me life because they help me sort of renew, uh, the structure allows me to engage deeply and definitely at other times it's been a little bit like, Whoa, what if I have some freedom with this? Like, what if I riff off of these themes and allow my own creativity to, to engage with, with what I consider holy. Um, yeah, what are your, how, how's your experience been with all of that? And how does that tie into cooking for you? And I'm also going to eat right now while you talk because <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. This, I, I made your recipe. Well, I made a very, I ripped on it. I made a different version. Um, so go ahead. <laughs> One of the things that I love about this friend who gave me this recipe is that she and her husband just recently had a son. He's about two years old now. And he was born in Hawaii and they've recently moved to New Hampshire and they moved, Mm -hmm. I think it was like November, December, somewhere around in there. Wow. What a move. Yeah. A really big move in the middle of winter. So Mm. their, their little boy had never seen snow Mm. and he is the type of kid that runs around barefoot. If he could be naked 24 seven, he would be naked 24 (laughs) seven. He would take mud baths in Hawaii and just like crawl around in the mud like he is an earth child. Um, And that's something that I really love about this family in general is that they have such a beautiful connection to the earth and and to what they do. And so I think for like a spiritual discipline for them, if if they wouldn't call it a spiritual discipline, maybe it's just a way of life um, of remaining connected to to the earth. 
And I think for me, having such an important recipe um, that really communicates that love while at the same time allowing some improvisation <laughs> is, mm-hmm. is a really, really beautiful way to continue a legacy and to continue these memories forward. Um, from a personal standpoint, I think, too, I've just been noticing a lot of rhythms in my life. I recently moved and mm-hmm. I put up a new wall calendar. It's mm-hmm. like July <laughs> right now. <laughs> so it's it's weird to like put up a calendar halfway through the year. But um, <laughs> I put up a calendar and it has um, it has circles on the new moon and the full moon. Um, so a darker circle on the calendar for a new moon and a, a brighter circle for the full moon. And that rhythm really captivated me. Um, mm-hmm. And I flipped over to July um, and noticed that the the image for that um, is tied. And mm. it's, it's a beautiful wood print of um, feet dangling in water. And you can see the... Sw- the fish are swimming by so I think that rhythm of day and night that rhythm of new moon and full moon um, has become sort of a a spiritual uh, not necessarily discipline but a spiritual noticing of Mm -hmm. of the movement of nature and of the tides and I think too um, it just it makes me more aware of of the world around me um, one of the things that I've been doing working at the winery is really, really hard on my body. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so oftentimes I find that spiritual disciplines come more out of necessity than, than anything else. So I've started to do yoga. Um, I found oh. a, a yoga instructor on YouTube and she's doing 30 days of yoga. So I'm following her. Oh. Um, and I've been doing it at night before I go to bed and then in the morning before I leave for work. And I have noticed such a difference just in the way that I feel, not only body-wise, but just so much more centered. Um, and certainly as I eat better, um, as I'm cooking more for myself than I have in a long time, um, I'm noticing a lot of really, really positive changes in my life too. So food food definitely feeds the soul and the body, and it's, it's so nourishing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that, Christy. Um, I really appreciated your bringing in the moon and um, and the noticing as a spiritual practice itself. Um, when things are going by so fast in, in the culture that we live in, noticing can be really significant. And whether that's noticing sort of the rhythms of the world around us or what's going on internally, um, and I, I'm really excited about today's conversation. Uh, we're going to be speaking with two really amazing women who are currently in Brewster, New York. Um, it's a bit outside of New York City, and, and we'll tell you a little bit more about that. But um, I, they, they work at a farm that was dreamed up um, a handful of years ago by some Episcopalian nuns or sisters. And uh, when I was, I spent some time there last summer, and I remember it was the first time being outside of living in a city that I could see the moon clearly. 
And it was the first time in so long that I actually noticed when the moon was getting big and when it was getting small and started to notice even just like the little tilts in my own mood and my own levels of energy. Um, And the sisters and Sharon, the farmer, the farm manager at this point, um, their openness to to that whole realm and to biodynamic farming, which is a form of farming that really takes into account kind of the cosmos and the movement of the stars and the moon. Um, and also just to sort of k- traditional ways of looking at um, how the moon impacts the world. I mean, it's it's been such a part of humans narratives and religious practices for thousands and thousands mm-hmm. and thousands of years um and i think it's a part of a practice that has been cut out from some mainstream um, faith traditions but their openness to that really stirred something within me and and just could uh yeah it sort of reawakened my curiosity around um around rhythm and around how like how is it that the moon can <laughs> can impact us down here you know like there's that there's still a connection even on that level and the moon's fairly close compared to the rest of the cosmos so it was pretty cool it was just a really interesting new way for me um of thinking about things we are um, sitting at the table with Sister Helena Marie and Sharon Bodenschatz of Bluestone Farm and Living Arts Center. The center was dreamed up and brought to life about 15 years ago by the Community of the Holy Spirit, a community of Episcopalian sisters founded in 1952 in New York. Bluestone Farm and Living Arts Center is located about an hour outside of the bustling New York City area in Brewster, New York. It is nestled in rolling wooded hills at the site of the community's Melrose Convent. And today, the center offers a place of retreat for people from all over the world, but it also offers a place of education, a key tenet of the community of the Holy Spirit's way of life. Formerly, the center has a farm companioning program where volunteers can stay for a period of time to farm, pray, and learn about sustainable agriculture and living. I had the opportunity to do this for a month last year, and it was a really special experience. Above all, the center strives to promote what they call earth literacy. Through implementing various organic, permaculture, and biodynamic practices, and weaving their days around communal meals and liturgical prayer, their website sums it up in the heart of the center well, saying, quote, It is, in fact, earth literacy that we seek to advance in the context of the sacredness of all creation. And also, we are, in a sense, a budding eco-village with a permanent monastic core and a long-term living partner, good neighbor component. Today, we have the honor to be speaking with two incredible people who bring so much to the center. Sister Helena Marie, a member of the Community of the Holy Spirit, participated in the early visioning to bring an earth literacy center to the Melrose Convent. Today, farm manager Sharon Bodenschatz plays a crucial role in the daily tasks involved to cultivate life and growth at the farm. They live among a unique community of religious and lay people at the farm, a community that includes some special other than human creatures too, like their beloved cow, Mercy. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having us. 
Absolutely. Sister Helena Marie, can you tell us more about the community of the Holy Spirit and how it came to the decision to create an earth literacy center in Brewster, New York? Uh, What were the sort of connections that the community made in regards to their understanding of faith and spirituality to sustainable farming and living? Well, our uh, charism as a community is has always been education, and uh, here I guess I'll tell a brief personal story. I attended the General Convention of the Episcopal Church in 1986 when it was in Detroit. It was my first time. It meets every three years, and in the exhibit hall there were there were booths for every possible social justice cause you can imagine um, there were there were booths for uh, AIDS for uh, combating racism sexism homophobia etc and there were also very conservative booths there were so many different booths uh, displaying their causes and then mm. I came to a booth that had just a simple picture of the earth and it struck me, I, it stopped me in my tracks because I realized none of these causes can be addressed if we don't address the, 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 earth, the Earth's health. If we don't have a planet, it doesn't matter if we address AIDS and r- racism and all the other things. So I began to uh, emphasize this in the community that we, we ought to be focusing our ministry somewhat, somewhat more on Earth herself, and then the community did pick it up eventually. It was a long eventually, but <laughs> <laughs> as in twenty-five years. But wow, <laughs> <laughs> I learned to be patient. And in two thousand and three, we came up to Melrose to start a farm and to start an Earth Literacy Center. But we weren't really; our hearts were not in giving formal programs our hearts were were uh, about putting our hands in the soil and that's what we did and a farm grew up and people came here because they too wanted to put their hands in the soil and milk a cow and you know collect chicken eggs and and see the process of growth from seed to seedling to a fruiting fruiting body to reproduction. Uh, uh, so that's really how we started. Um, of course, it all centers around food. That's what we're that's what we're producing here because everybody needs food. You know, the plants need food, the animals need food. We need food. It's all about food. And it's a very very sacred process to grow food, cook food and eat food. Mhm. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. So can you also just define for us what earth literacy means to you and to Bluestone in general? Yes. Earth literacy means learning from earth herself as a primary revelation of the divine. Hmm. And the way that it that this kind of literacy comes about best is not by reading your computer screen or reading books or watching programs or attending workshops, but by going to earth herself and observing, using all the senses and interacting with 
Earth and all her living systems. That's, that's the beginning of Earth literacies. So whatever you might learn about through other means like books and computers, the real essential connection is made with your own body connecting with Earth. And uh, it's, the re it's, the, it's the loss of connection that we suffer from as a culture, as a society, as a world, honestly. We've lost connection, especially with our mother, the Earth. And uh, the best way to get back, to reconnect, is to go to Earth wherever you are, in whatever context, and our context is here on this little patch of farm. Go to Earth and listen and observe and open your senses and open your heart. And uh, that's what we're about. And people do come here, and that's what happens. They reconnect. And that itself is a form of literacy. Uh, you know, it's a really understanding not just with the mind but with the heart, and it's a it's a heart connection. It's it's going into the field in so many ways, the field of the fields of the farm, mm. but also the fields of interconnection. You know, the invisible fields that they're, they're just as real as fields that are visible, but uh, they are not they're not perceived with our with our senses. And um, this is what we hope to provide, an opportunity to connect in these various ways. Thank you so much. That connection is, is really at the core of what we're trying to, to talk about. Um, so I want to come back to that. Sharon, can you tell us a little bit more about your journey as well and what brought you to work uh, with the land and then specifically to Bluestone. I know that you have um, a really wide range in your career. You started in graphic design, and I would love to know a little bit more about, about your path. Well, actually, I started with a business degree, but I was ill-suited to working in a large corporation. So I kept finding myself in mm. arts organizations. <laughs> And ultimately, when I landed in New York City, I got very involved in the graphic arts community, doing publicity for them. And I really enjoyed that and met a lot of people. And it was about design and balance, which actually translated into landscape design, I do believe, for me. But. Um, I had a, a moment in my life when I fell down and had to redirect myself and I took myself back to school to do something that I really wanted to do and that was landscape design and horticulture and while I was studying there was one class I had that was kind of my epiphany and it was called weed control. <laughs> <laughs> And that whole class was about, it was about, it seemed to be about reading labels, basically, about all this synthetic material to kill. And I thought, how can we kill so that we can eat and enjoy the beauty of Earth? We have to kill to get there? Mm -hmm. It just, 
was the antithesis of beauty and life. And it didn't make any sense to me. So from that point forward is when I determined I would not be a conventional grower. I was going to be organic. Mm. And it really it really uh, paved my way for me. That, that one class paved my way all the way to Bluestone Farm because I was an organic uh, horticulturist for estates. I worked for people of wealth and I grew food for them as well as kept other gardens for them. And it just seemed then an, an injustice to be growing for one family that everybody should have access to this kind of food. And I also had a guide who was my uh, organic mentor out of the city when I moved up here to um, work on these estates. I connected with a local organic farmer who was a founder of NOFA New York and we became fast friends and helped each other out over the years until he passed away. But um, he introduced me to NOFA and I just kept realizing more and more the importance of food. So while I was out to help Earth first, that ultimately led me down the path toward food as a focus. Yeah, and Sharon, you, you touched on growing food for more than just one family, but for all people. And so Sister Helena, Helena Marie, um, how did the, the emergence of Bluestone shape and affect the community living there? What challenges arose and, and how did your expectations shift as you recognized Bluestone's place within the community? <laughs> well, we started out wanting to be an earth literacy center along the lines of Genesis Farm, which is a, another earth literacy center in Blairstown, New Jersey, started by Sister Miriam McGillis. And we went there for training in the new cosmology and the universe story. And we thought when we came here to Bluestone Farm, which was then just called Melrose, that we wanted to be just like Genesis, Genesis Farm and offer lots of programs with lots of materials and films and workshops and um, and as I as I indicated before what our heart was really in putting our hands in the soil so that right away was something we had to deal with emotionally we're not going to it's not it's not panning out we're not <laughs> we're not doing the thing we said we came here to do we're doing something else but yet that something else felt very right and very real. So some of the challenges, well, we took, a, we took boulders weighing tons. We took them out of the soil so that we could plant a garden. We did it by hand. We, <laughs> we did it with just shovels and boards and levering these huge boulders up with little rocks, kind of like they built the pyramids. And um, <laughs> We put our bodies and souls into that, with our blood, sweat, and tears into the into the soil, into the garden, the work. Then we had the challenge of um, learning to grow, to grow plants. And in fact, you know, we don't grow the plants; the soil grows the plants. And 
the, the microbes, all the organisms in the soil grow the plants, and we had to learn to uh, listen to them and feed them, feed the organisms in the soil with, with wonderful compost and leaf mold and ash and everything we could get our hands on. We put it into the soil to build the soil and make the soil happy and productive. And the soil was singing, you might say. And uh, then we began to, to plant in this soil that we were um, building up. And we had some great successes and some horrible tragedies. <laughs> I remember the first season, I should have known better, but uh, the very first day that was predicted to have no frost, the first frost-free day in the spring, I put out the tomatoes and eggplants and peppers. I was so thrilled to be, you know, putting them out into the soil. And that night we had a freeze and they all died. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned to be much, much more cautious and not to not to listen to the weather mm -hmm. reports and just put my absolute trust in them. So um, after that season, I never put plants in before June 1st, even <laughs> if they were long and leggy before they could get in the ground. I, I always waited until that, until June 1st, just in case. Um, so we, you know, other times we've had huge bumper crops. Oh my goodness, some of the apple crops have been f just so fantastic. And we make cider and wine and um, apple pie and all jellies and jams, all things you can imagine making with apples. And uh, it's just, it's so glorious, simply glorious to uh, to experience this abundance and really to feel like we don't, we, we're kind of guiding the process in a way, but mostly we're just sort of trying to stay out of the way of something that's totally miraculous and is it, it happens mostly on its own. We just It's like I used to be a kindergarten teacher, and I, I realized my job was to sort of step back and watch and guide from the sidelines, but the kids knew what they wanted to learn. They knew what to do. They knew what the, how they wanted to play, and I just had to keep them from hurting each other or themselves. And... <laughs> You know, and the same thing with the farm. The plants know what to do. The animals know what to do. They know how to connect together, too. And um, as a, just a quick example, um, when a cow comes to a new farm, the cow eats the dirt, the soil. The cow takes mouths full of the soil, uh, like in the pasture, because somehow the cow is constructed so that she knows what, the soil needs, what it's lacking to produce the most wonderful, tasty, and healthful grass, grasses. So she takes the, tastes the dirt, and she computes in her, in her magical way what the soil needs, and then she produces that very, those very nutrients in her manure, which she then, you know, puts... <laughs> adds to the pasture and it fertilizes the pasture and the pasture begins to sense this new, these new nutrients and grow the very kind of grass that she knows she needs to eat. And to me, that's just a total miracle. I remember when I first heard that from you and that blew me away that they could actually, that cows could respond to their environment in that way and enhance the soil Um that their body could do that in some form, which was amazing. I know. Yeah. It is. It yeah. is amazing. Yeah. 
Absolutely. It's pretty miraculous. I think that's the right word for it. Sharon, I, I was kind of laughing with Sister Helena Marie's story of all the plants dying the next day. I remember when we were trying to battle the roly-polies on the brassica, I think it was. <laughs> and we had just planted these little babies and um, something just kept eating them down. And that's there is some truth in that, it seems, that farming or gardening you know it's it's not a perfect science there's something there's a give and take in it or there's almost an invitation to lean into that vulnerability and I'm curious for you moving um just coming from your background with landscape um landscape design and management and then kind of finding your way over time at Bluestone first as a volunteer and then as the farm manager um, and actually moving onto that land alongside becoming a part of the, um, the center's community, greater community, how has that shift been and, and sort of what are the joys and challenges you found in, in this new form of, of farming in, in some sense? Hmm. Well, the joys are, are great. The joys are that we have a bounty of food here throughout the year and the complete communion for me is to have a meal made of that food and Sister Helena Marie has been cooking the meals most recently and she is a very inventive chef. She mm -hmm. loves to play with the food and that is such a joy for me to eat the food of the land. Um, Another joy I have is working with the various groups of people who come here. We work with um, guests who are staying here for a time and volunteers such as I was. And um, we work with alternatives to incarceration. We work with farm companions and groups. And every contingent of people who come here uh, have something to offer. I learn from them and they all seem to enjoy learning and I guess the Alternatives to Incarceration group who may not, who, who are not here of their own volition, when I see them getting excited and enjoying what they're doing, that's a real joy too. And um, I love when many hands come to make light work mm -hmm. and I just enjoy I just enjoy learning from everybody who comes here and I enjoy being supported by the community that is here and often here in rotation and it's always every day is different just like mother nature's weather is always different yeah. Every day is different within the community of people here as well. I enjoy that, which is also has its inherent challenges mm -hmm. uh, because the people are always rotating and um, things are constantly changing. It's, it's, um, sometimes I have to relax and not worry about producing so much as uh, going with the flow 
sometimes I think I try to push it to get all the leaf crops in on the leaf day, as it was today, a leaf day. <laughs> or, you know, trying to... I do love the biodynamic calendar, however, because it does... Um, it provides a bumper guard for me in a way mm-hmm. and um, provides parameters that I don't even have to second guess because they come from without. Mm-hmm. And the ch- another challenge is just the interconnectedness of all things. Um, the weather, oh my gosh, the weather <laughs> is changing and the speed with which it is changing is becoming more rapid. And yeah. so I have to evaluate every day. And that's both challenging and fun because I, I think it's like putting a puzzle together living here. Mm. And I enjoy the challenge. And I enjoy when, the pe- when I find the right pieces. Yeah, the, the many moving parts of Bluestone um, also, I think, allows for, for that sense of hospitality that you're talking about, Sharon. Um, just in my four small weeks there, the number of people that came through the doors, I mean, people were coming from different ages and faith traditions and cultural backgrounds. And it was really stunning to see as the many members of, of the Bluestone community kind of rose up to to meet those people and to make space for for whatever they were bringing through the door um whether they were coming to volunteer or coming for a retreat or um to help farm for the day and i also really loved earlier sister helena marie when you were talking about the sense of of connection um reconnecting to the earth and sharing the sense of interconnection um so i would love to to bring those elements, hospitality and connection and interconnection um, into dialogue as well with, with sort of the faith of the community, um, the faith life. And I mean that very expansively because the community of, of um, sisters who are there are, are from the Episcopalian tradition. Um, they connect the divine office, which are uh, sung, sung prayer done on an, uh, a regular basis into the actual farm work itself. Um, and so as a farm com- companion, I was invited to participate in that. Um, and then there's also people of, of all or various faith traditions who are who come through the doors as well. And just wondering for both of you personally how um, what you do, how hospitality and connection, how that relates to um, your understanding of, of meaning, um, the sacred, however you define that. Well, I'll give an example of how I think it plays out here. Uh, we live out in the country, and the availabili- availability of Episcopal priests is uh, not great. <laughs> <laughs> and so when we come to... The, um, wanting to have a celebration of the Eucharist, it's all dependent on whether or not we can get a priest to come. Mm-hmm. Um, so addressing that situation, Sister Catherine Grace, one of our sisters, created this service called the Celebration of Life. 
And it's not a Eucharist. It's kind of loosely based on the form of a Eucharist, but it isn't a Eucharist because we don't have a priest. It's our own service, and it's our own celebration of the fullness and abundance of all the life around us. The, this place is just teeming with life. And what we do is we take, instead of using bread and wine, which are the, symbol, the symbols of Christ's life and presence and gift, instead of taking bread and wine, we take elements from this land that have grown here, and we take whatever is available that day. Like, you know, recently we had fresh asparagus. <laughs> um, so instead of bread, we had fresh asparagus tips um, <laughs> dipped in mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> That's my kind and, of Eucharist. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for what we had to drink, I think we used uh, the, our own well water, which was infused with mint that was growing. Ooh, that just started amazing. To yeah. And it is amazing and everything is so fresh and just picked that right before the service and and then the the service itself is really a story the story of the universe. And um, it it's a story of how we live in a eucharistic universe. We live in a sacrificial in a sense universe where uh, say grandmother star that the star from which our son came you know eventually burst apart in other words died and uh that the remnants of that that grandmother star became the various sons that are, are in our you know our local local part of the galaxy including <laughs> our own son and so it's a celebration of that the sacrifice of gra this grandmother star, it's a celebration of the formation of our solar system and eventually the, f the formation of this lovely planet, Earth, and then of the development of life. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what a great story to tell in a, in a worshipful context. So we, and it's very, very poetically expressed by Sister Catherine Grace and so we, we go through this sort of brief story of the universe and, and then also put it in the context of the sacrificial Christ. Um, and then we consume our, that we bless and consume the elements that we've taken from the land or the land has given us. And then we eat together. And yet there's always music, there's always laughing. It's, it's, um, it's a great way to celebrate, and what, how, what it has to do with hospitality is people can come to this service from any religious tradition, from any culture. People can drop in just for you know the morning and don't have to have any specific training or understanding. It's just available to everybody, and I, I'd say it's pretty universally loved. Um, we. Every so often we have somebody break down in tears and just express how he or she grew up in X religious tradition, whatever it was, and how uh, how that tradition eventually stifled the person and and uh, led to a lot of questioning, which was not always welcome in that particular religious religious tradition. Um, and then they come here, and there's this wonderful sense of joy of celebrating our our very um, existence and our very universe. And then culminating in taking something that's grown 5, 10, 15 feet away 
and it's part of this place, this sacred place. So that's one of the ways that I feel that hospitality and worship and spirituality and the land all come together. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really quite beautiful. Yeah, it seems like there are lots of connections across um, human to human and human to creation. And Sharon, um, would you be able to share a little bit as well about your experience of hospitality at Bluestone? Sure. Everyone is welcome. There is not a bad weed out there. We don't need to kill anything. Everything works together. Um, the universe gives us what we need, I think. Um, so we have all these plants out there, and some are goodies and some are baddies, but they all have a place. And maybe we don't want them right there with our crop, but maybe we can do something with them or use them or harvest them and use them medicinally. Everything has a place and it's an acceptance, an acceptance of everything and everybody, every living thing um, that I find sacred here and for the people and for the plants and for the animals. Everything belongs. As we hear the crickets chirping in the background, I think that's it's such a beautiful experience. Uh, before we started actually recording, I was mentioning that um, it's just amazing to have this background noise. Um, it makes me feel like I'm there with you and really makes me feel connected to the outside world for sure. I'm locked up in my bedroom right now. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, it, when we finish recording, I'll open my window and hope to hear crickets as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, we do always also like to ask our guests, is there a favorite or meaningful food or vegetable or meal that each of you have encountered in your experiences? I, I'm hearing a lot about Eucharist as well. Um, it, is, is there some sort of, of memory that you have that captures your reflection so far and sort of the, the essence of what is meaningful for you in the context of this particular conversation? I gotta say that um, when we have a meal from the land, which we do most of the time, it, you know, sometimes we augment in the winter, those meals are so tasty. I just, they're just so tasty. And the tomatoes with all the fresh vegetables, the overwintered peppers and potatoes and onions and carrots and beets, kohlrabis. I love all the food. I love my sourdough bread. Yeah, there's something about it that just tastes so good when you eat a vine-ripened tomato and like a little salt shaker. Am I the only one who does that? Takes a salt shaker out to the garden with them? Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Well, I'll stick with asparagus. Uh, <laughs> I love all the vegetables as well, but I'm just thinking, because this is the tail end of asparagus season, and I've had so much fun making asparagus in every form I could think of, including asparagus rhubarb pizza. Ooh. Wow. Really, really good. Yeah. But I'm thinking of the when I first planted these asparagus plants, I 
you 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 um, plant crowns. They're crowns. They're, they're like the crown of the plant with all the root system, and uh, you order them, and the crowns come, and you plant them in the ground to a certain depth, and so on. So I ordered them from Johnny's. It was my first time to really do any kind of ordering online with a computer. <laughs> this is a big challenge for me. So I wanted to order 10 crowns. So I did, and uh, along with lots of other things that I ordered from Johnny's. And when the asparagus came, they, it came in a huge box. <laughs> and by accident, I ordered 100 crowns and not 10 crowns. <laughs> oh. So we had to, we spent um, several weeks planting asparagus crowns everywhere with, with everywhere we could think of, and now we have a lovely asparagus patch. And just today, I tried something. I invented something. It's I call it asparagus mousse. <laughs> and what I did was um, briefly boil asparagus just for you know like a minute in a brine of salt water. Then I put it in the ice water to to, uh, to blanch it, um, and then I put it in a blender with two cups of cream, heavy cream, and I and it whipped up, and oh, a teaspoon of salt. It was just absolutely delightful and delicious, in my opinion. Um, I, I I have to say, you know, and <laughs> it was so much fun to create something new i had made custards asparagus custards in fact chloe that was one of the things yep. i served when you were here last <laughs> yes, summer you did. I, remember. <laughs> I remember that and that one came out really well and none of them have come out so well since then and so i'm experimenting what am i doing wrong and i came up with this asparagus mousse and it's such a pretty color of green too so anyway it's it's a demonstration of how food is tasty it's and it's delightful and it's uh it's so responsive to the different things that you can apply to it, like heat or speed, blades going quickly, you know, like mm. there's just no end to what you can do with a, with something that's, I'll use the term again, a miracle like asparagus. Mm. <laughs> and I wish everybody could come here for a meal. I wish everybody, not, maybe not just here, but I mean, we have some great restaurants in town too that serve from their own fields. Food is just transformative for our health. It's, it's the number one uh, way to address our health is through food. And that's what I would love to share. I mean, if I ever expanded on what we do here, I'd love to and I think we are heading in that direction, actually, expose food as medicine. I remember um, something that, because right when you asked that question, Christy, two memories came up immediately. One with Sister Helena Marie. I remember you forage in the woods and you find these herbs and you know how to pick things from, and you bring back, I remember this one day we had a smoothie that probably had 10 different wild herbs that you had found with mint. And it felt, just drinking it, like you're saying, Sharon, it felt so, one, it was delicious. And two, it was medicinal in the sense of healing. It just felt so good and and fresh and wholesome. And 
the other picture that popped up in my mind was Sharon. I remember my first morning when I was just visiting to see if I wanted to stay at the farm, you invited me over and you made in your cast iron your fresh egg from our chickens that that you care for and put it over toast. And I think we had coffee with milk from from Mercy the cow. And I remember walking out of there and calling um, my spouse later that night and saying, yep, I'm coming here. <laughs> like <laughs> That was it. <laughs> and it's just they're exactly what you both are describing. There's something so powerful, transformative um, and renewing that food can offer um, when we reconnect with it. I love this conversation. <laughs> this this is incredibly life giving. Um, but recognizing that the crickets are still chirping and the sun is going down. Um, as we wrap up this evening, we just want to ask uh, one final question: Where can we go from here, and and how can our listeners become involved, either in the Bluestone community or in their own contexts? In terms of their own context, I'd suggest uh, grow something. You know, you can grow a, something in a little pot. You could. This is the season in, in this part of the world for basil. So you could get a pot of basil, go out, get a little pot, and get some good uh, growing, some good potting soil and some seeds, or go to a nursery and buy a little basil plant. And pretty soon you could get into preserving the herbs or using the herbs in your cooking. You could get into propagation because eventually your basil plant will go to seed. So you can collect the seed, save the seed, and plant it next year. There's so many ways to connect, and you could do it even just in one little pot on your, on your window seal. Mm. Um, anyway, that's, that's one idea. But if you want to connect with the farm, we have a website. It's quite out of date, but... <laughs> We'll it's, include a link. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, email us. Email Sharon, the farm manager. Email us at the community and uh, come, come visit. Come visit. Come, come for a day. Come for a weekend or a week. Uh, come for a summer as a farm intern. Um, if you, if you wish to know about our worship life, uh, Chloe mentioned singing the divine office. Let me know. I'm glad to. If you're close enough, come join us. If if not, I'm glad to give you some pointers about uh, how to sing the office. And uh, Sharon, you probably have some thoughts too about how people can follow up. Uh. Well, I think I thought too that uh, it, everyone could grow something and maybe seek out your nearest farmer because it's so important to have a food connection and uh, to, con to connect with a grower if one cannot grow oneself. Um, maybe you could work with the farmer or, or you know, offer your skills in exchange for food or buy their food. And yes, email me at sharon at chssisters.org. Those are some really great ideas. And hopefully people in the area um, might be able to, to have a chance to swing by someday. Uh, I just want to take a moment to thank you both so much for your insight and for the wonderful work that you're engaged with. And just sitting here for me, um, this conversation is very healing. You both have been teachers and mentors, and I just want to want to thank you for that.
Oh, thank you, Chloe. Yeah. Always enjoy being with you. You too. <laughs> and Christy, we hope to see you here. Yes. I'm like, I'm looking at my calendar right now and I'm like, when can I get there? <laughs> well, we're here. We're always here. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you both. Absolutely. For more information about Bluestone Farm and the Living Arts Center at Melrose, please visit their website at www.chssisters.org. And thank you to our listeners for joining us at the table. Until next time, we are fully yours. Thank you so much for joining us at the table. We would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think by leaving a rating on iTunes. Or if you have show ideas, comments, or just want to reach us directly, send us an email at fully.yours.podcast at gmail.com. For today's show notes, our blog, and more, be sure to check us out at fullyyourspodcast.com. Huge thanks to Steve Dry and Catalyst of Harvard Epworth United Methodist Church, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, for their generous grant funding of this podcast. Shout out to the talented Joel Adams and Melody Stanford Martin for producing the original song featured in this podcast. Also to Melody for our gorgeous logo design and to our dream team for keeping us grounded and inspired. Until next time, we are fully yours.